Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards, and I want to welcome you here today for Impact Cyber Church. You know, I love the fact that every single week we are talking to tens of thousands of people all over the world. We're fulfilling the great commission of taking this gospel to the ends of the earth and making disciples. We're not just trying to get converts. We're teaching people how this stuff works, how to follow Jesus, and how it really works. Listen, today is the last in this series on New Covenant Prayer. I'm going to be talking about in Christ, the only reality. Now, no matter what you know about in Christ, no matter what scriptures you can quote, I want you to hang in here with me on this because I'm going to tell you something. I want to take you to the place of what this looks like in a real personal prayer life. And remember, when I say prayer, don't think about prayer the way you think about it. I'm just talking about being intimate with God. I'm talking about following these processes we talked about. I'll be back in just a minute. I'm going to kick this thing off. But remember, these are always available at impactministries.com for your viewing. Hey, listen, I want to be sure you get my free download this month, Knowing God as Father. I am telling you, this is going to charge you up and get you so excited and so confident in your connection and your position with God. Be sure and get it. It's for free. All right, we're coming into what is going to be one of the most important parts of bringing all of these pieces of our prayer life together. Now, remember, when I talk about prayer, don't go to that religious place. Don't go to these goofy legalistic things. Go to that place of intimately connecting with God in your heart through a meditative process, a reflective process, or a loving process, or however you get real with God in your heart. Because at the end of the day, what prayer really should do, new covenant prayer should always put us right square in the middle of realizing, experiencing, and living as we are in Jesus, living in our new identity, experiencing the realities of God in Christ. And if prayer is not reconciling, we talk about how that the word pray means to assess and then to reconcile. And, you know, I'm not doing that to get right. I am right. I'm righteous. God's made me righteous. But I'm doing that so that my life works right, so that my relationships are peaceful, so that I'm avoiding temptation. I'm taking care of my family. I'm walking in love. I got friends. I'm helping people. I'm ministering. I'm doing kingdom stuff and having a great life in the process. And that only happens effortlessly when we are living out of our true identity in Jesus. I'm going to tell you, this is why really regular prayer is important because I'm not saying how much you should pray or how often you should pray, but I'm saying that you've got to constantly renew your mind about who you are in Jesus. Man, when you get sick and have a pain in your body, everything in you is saying, this ain't working, this is not working, this is not working, I'm not healed. But you know what? That's just not true. Healing is mine. I may not be experiencing it. The question is, can I connect with that? And our problem is we wait until we're in the crises to try to connect with the promises. We wait until we're in the crises to try to find and attach ourselves to God's reality. Well, you know what? 
Jesus taught us to set our lives in order in a way that becomes preventative. Now, most of the questions that people ever ask me about prayer are just totally illegitimate and totally reveal a shallowness about God, a shallowness about spirituality. You know, uh, when people want to know, well, why should, you know, why should I do anything? Usually that translates out into how can I get out of doing this? But, you know, you don't want to go to judgment, so you always have to ask questions. But, you know, very few people I talk to are satisfied with their prayer lives. I've had some of the biggest names in national and international ministry tell me in private that they struggled to have a prayer life. And the more I got to know them and look at the chaos that surrounded them, I thought, well, man, no wonder your life's full of chaos and no wonder you're having trouble praying because it's a mess. There's stress all around you. There's strife all around you. There's conflict all around you. And you're taking shortcuts and da-da-da-da-da. Well, listen, but when it gets down to it for the average guy, sometimes in prayer we just have the wrong goals. In other words, we have a goal that's totally different than God's goal. And sometimes we have God's goal, but we're not following God's process. You know, when the children of Israel were bringing the ark back after it had been taken away by, I don't remember which group it was, the Hittites or who it was that had taken it away. And when they were bringing the ark back, they didn't bring it back, the Bible says, according to the prescribed manner. And so the result was somebody violated one of the really important laws and touched the ark. Now, their intention was good, but it did not go well for that person. And, you know, King David, man, he was distraught about it. You know, why did this happen? We're trying to bring the ark of God back. And he came to the realization, as it says in the New International Version, that they had not done it the prescribed way. Now, God's not trying to get you to do stuff the prescribed way because it's like, you either do it my way or I'm going to punish you. God created us. God created the universe. You know, every law of physics, everything that's going on in your body, all of the cellular interactions that are happening within your body and between your body and the environment, right? all of those were designed by God. So God always gives us a process so that we have the optimal life. We have the optimal health. We have the optimal peace. We have the optimal joy based on how we were created. And when we ignore his wisdom, it's like like saying, I've got this car that I'm supposed to run, you know, high-octane gas in, but I'm going to put the cheapest gas that I can find, and then I'm going to be amazed when it doesn't run properly, when it doesn't get good gas mileage, when the engine is knocking and won't turn off. You know, if God wants us to have the best, but we've got to choose for them. So many times, we either have the wrong goals in prayer, we're going to try to get God to do something instead of trying to move into what we have in Christ, or many times... We want what God wants us to have, but we're not willing to follow this process. Secondly, sometimes we go into prayer with the wrong expectations. You know, I cannot expect God to do for me what He told me to do for myself. And in most of the prayer lives of the probably hundreds of thousands of people that I have talked to about prayer over the last 40 years, it's rare that I meet someone who goes into prayer with proper expectations because most of people's prayer life is asking, and if you haven't listened to all this series, you're going to get lost here, but you know, and the Greek word for ask means to ask because you know the answer. The assumption is I'm a son, he's my father, I'm an heir, this is mine. I'm not asking him in a way to see if possibly he's going to do it this time. I'm asking because I know what the answer is. 
Well, that's like walking up to you, one of your buddies, and saying, hey, can you give me a ride? You know, the assumption is, yeah, you're my buddy. You're going to give me a ride. Can I ride home with you today? Yeah, I'll give you a ride home. The assumption is there. But most people don't approach God with that assumption, and most people are asking God to do for them what He has said they should do for themselves, or they are asking God to do for them what He has already done in the Lord Jesus Christ, which means our whole prayer life is a denial of our trust in the death, burial, and resurrection. And then, of course, one of the big things is sometimes there's no what I call a dynamic life exchange. In other words, we don't make it from the heart. We don't make it interactive. We don't make it meditative. We don't make it a reflective process. And so there's no real exchange that takes place with us. We talk. We hope that God's listening, but there's no real interaction. Well, you know, one of the top questions that I consider to be a legitimate question about New Testament or New Covenant prayer is this. If Jesus did it all on the cross, how do I pray? Not why do I pray, how to pray. You should know you got to pray. You should know it's normal for believers to pray. So the question is, why do I pray? The question is, how do I pray? Now, if you're asking this question, it means you're actually thinking, which puts you light years ahead of the crowd. You see, in the new covenant, everything has changed. And I'm not going to review all of this. You can go back and listen to this, but you've got to get absolutely steadfast in this covenant. You cannot be on and off, up and down, unsure about what we have in this covenant. And you've got to commit to the new covenant terms and conditions for kingdom living. And then you harmonize all of your doctrinal and religious concepts and activities to be harmonious with the new covenant. Remember, Jesus took the word of God, everything that God had ever said, and he said, I'm going to show you what it really means. And he didn't reject the word of God. He said, this is what it means if it's applied from the motive of love. And then based on the death, burial, and resurrection, this is what it looks like now that the price has been paid for you. So, you know, any belief that I have that's incongruent or in conflict with the new covenant, I've absolutely got to eradicate that incongruence. And remember, that's what happens when we assess and reconcile. But today, we want to dive back into it, and in the next segment, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how all of this, at the end of the day, comes down to me experiencing the reality of who I am in Jesus, me walking out of my time of prayer with this immovable sense that I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, I can do what God says I can do, and then I go into the earth and act with my authority as a believer, with my confidence in who I am. I don't go into the world expecting God to do things for me that are already mine in Christ. Listen, I'll be back in just a minute. We'll get to the heart of this. You know this series, New Covenant Prayer, how to set your life in order. You say, what's that got to do with setting your life in order? How does prayer and that go together? I'll tell you how. Because prayer, when you do it based on the new covenant, is exactly where you decide where your life's going to go, is exactly where you engage and align yourself with what God has already accomplished through the Lord Jesus, and you establish His kingdom on earth. You want to get this today. This will revolutionize every aspect of your life. All right, so if we're approaching prayer from a scriptural perspective, from what the word pray means, and if we're following Jesus' model of prayer, we've got these categories of our life, these areas of our life that we're looking at and we're assessing them. We're determining 
if we are in fact experiencing what God has given us through the Lord Jesus in these areas of our life. And if we're not, we're reconciling those things. Now, reconciling happens first and foremost on the inside, not on the outside. You know, if you go reconcile with a person before you reconcile the issue in your heart, you probably will be disingenuous. You'll probably go and, and express mercy to somebody and then go back home and be mad at them because you still haven't dealt with it in your heart. You always deal with stuff in your heart first and foremost so that it's genuine when you activate it or put it into practice into life. So all reconciliation, everything about getting our life to work has to come back to Christ in me and me in him, and I'm a new creation. I am a joint heir with Jesus. I am seated with him in heavenly places. You know, as he is, so am I. What is his is mine. It's got to come back to this reality. Remember, Christ in you, the Bible says, is the glory of God. And it's a mystery. And I'll tell you, even though it's a mystery that has been revealed in the New Testament, it doesn't mean many people are preaching it. And it doesn't mean how the people that are preaching it that anybody's really putting it into practice in their prayer life. Now, we've talked about the word glory hundreds of times on this program. I'll talk about it again. The word glory comes from the Greek word doxa, which means brilliant, splendor, brightness, greatness, majesty, all these kinds of things. But it also means view, opinion, and reality. God has a view and opinion, and His opinion is reality. When I am experiencing a reality that is not harmonious with God's view and opinion and reality. You say, well, how do I know what God's reality is? You read the Bible. You read the New Testament. And particularly, you focus in on the fact that all the promises are yours if you're in Jesus. None of the curses are yours if you're in Jesus. And you're qualified for this inheritance because you're in Jesus. And so you have to look at, the, at these areas of your life and say, you know, am I experiencing the promises of God in this area of my life? Now, if I'm not experiencing the promises of God, I'll try to attack that problem out there before I settle it in my heart with who I am. And remember, when you deal with something in your heart, you're always dealing with your identity. When you resolve something in your heart, the core of what happens is you shift to another version of reality. You return to God's reality about who you are, what you have, and what you can do. So when the realities in my life are different than what God says is mine, then I want to reconcile that reality. Now, Jesus didn't reveal the in him realities until close to his departure from planet Earth. Because these realities would not come into effect until after he had been raised from the dead. And he began in John 14. And everything that Jesus taught would now have to be understood from the framework of the in him realities. Now, the effective date of the new covenant was when Christ sat down at the right hand of God. That's when the new covenant went into practice and the church was born on the day of Pentecost. But when Christ sat down at the right hand of God and the Spirit was poured out, then by our interaction with the Spirit, not just our intellectual comprehension, but by our interaction and involvement with the Spirit of God, we take hold of, we receive, which means to take hold of and bring to yourself, we receive His inheritance. And from that moment, from the moment he sat down at the right hand of God, 
everything had to become interpreted and applied in light of this new reality. This is why the Apostle Paul prayed, you know, for us to grasp this mystery, this in him mystery. You know, Paul in Ephesians 1, he prayed that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. See, he's the Father of glory. And not just splendor, brightness, and wonder, and amazement, but he is the Father of reality. And anything that does not align with his reality is not real. It's real in your experience. It'll kill you. It'll destroy your life. But it's an illusion that only has power because you accept it as your reality. He says, may the Father of glory give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This always gets back to in him. See, revelation knowledge of the in him. In other words, I want you to grasp, I want you to understand by experiencing everything about what it feels like, how you see it, how you express about being in him. So this supports the context. And the text and the rest of Paul's writings are kind of interesting because then he goes on and he points out three essential in him realities. Now, first reality is, he said, I want you to know the hope of his calling. It's not the hope of our calling. It's the hope of his calling. God didn't make a covenant with me. He made a covenant with Jesus, and I'm in Jesus, so I share in what he's called to be and do. So I've got to understand who he is. I've got to understand what his call, what his destiny is, what his relationship with God is, so that thereby I understand how I relate and who I am. Now, hope means a confident expectation. So we should always be confidently expecting God's promise. And our hope is sure. I mean, we should be absolutely immovable in the hope of his calling. And then he goes on and said, here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to have this revelation knowledge about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, this is not our inheritance. This is his inheritance. This is what I'm experiencing because of his obedience. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, you know, most people think this is about spiritual warfare and fighting the devil, but he's talking about these people who had these arguments about how they interpreted the new covenant and what was ours in the new covenant. And he said, look, you got to bring every argument, every thought, every imagination into a submission, into agreement with the obedience of Christ. What did Christ obtain by his obedience, not what did I obtain by my obedience? Because what he obtained was an eternal inheritance, and we share in that. And all that God has is ours in him. There are absolutely no limits. And then number three, he says, and I want you to have revelation knowledge about what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he goes on and describes it as the resurrection power. He said, you got to get a revelation. You're not going to get this intellectually. And until this is alive in your heart, it's not going to help you. You want to come to this place where you recognize that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you right now. And right now, you are raised up in Christ from the dead. And you have life in your mortal body through this spirit that dwells in you. We've got to connect that. The spirit that raised Jesus from the death of sin is what works in us. It made him a conqueror, which means we're a conqueror. It caused him a sin to the presence of God, which means we have constant access to the presence of God. And interestingly, it totally conquered the devil. If you'll read the rest of Ephesians, Paul gives added and special attention to this about the devil's victory. So we're not messing with the devil. He talks about how that this 
spirit of resurrection power was working in us, raised Jesus far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, if Satan's under Jesus' feet, he is under my feet. And if in my prayer life, I am assessing and reconciling, then I am going to be coming into this revelation knowledge. See, this revelation knowledge, remember, it doesn't come because today God wakes up in a good mood and he decides, you know what, you've been really good lately and you've been praying a lot, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you something that will been hiding from you. No, the real truth is Jesus is the revelation of God. Everything we need to know about God, we could see in Jesus if we were willing to give up our opinion, our glory, and see what God has shown us in Jesus. Revelation doesn't come because God changes. Revelation comes because we change our viewpoint. We change where we're standing, and now there's not an obstacle. You know, we're looking at the Word of God as the Paul says, like somebody's looking through a veil, somebody's just seeing things shadily. And so the issue is just that veil needs to be taken away. How's that veil taken away? Whenever you surrender your view whenever you surrender your reality. And this is what should be happening every single day. Every single day in our prayer life, in our connection with God, every time we're bringing an issue with God, the eyes of our understanding should be enlightened. Our heart is the seat of enlightenment and understanding. And every single day, I need to pray. I need to approach God in a way that always brings me back to revelation knowledge. You know, this is going to be challenging. What I'm about to say is going to be incredibly challenging. But if you can't walk into your prayer closet or prayer room or wherever you go to pray and know, okay, whatever this heavy burden is, whatever this guilt is I'm feeling, whatever this fear is, I'm, if you can't walk in there and know that in a matter of minutes, you're going to walk out of there and that burden's going to be gone. Circumstance may not have changed, but that burden's going to be gone. If you don't know that, then the real truth is, you don't really have an effective prayer life, but you can. I tell you, it's a wonderful thing when something starts bothering you, when you wake up in the middle of the night, like I have happened to me sometimes, where suddenly, man, you're burdened with something or about someone, and you know how to reconcile this. This feeling has no right to be here, this fear or this concern, and you reconcile it by going back to who you are in Jesus and speaking truth over the situation. And suddenly, it's not a formula. It's not because you've said it enough times it works, but suddenly revelation knowledge comes. You have this sense, this understanding of God in the situation. I want to tell you something. You can change and overcome any situation in your life Every time you go into your place of prayer, if you pray based on new covenant truth, new covenant principles. Now, so I'm going to be back with the mentoring moment in just a second. Don't go away. I want to just give you the last steps in putting this into practice. Check on my website for a heart physics weekend. Listen, we're changing lives, changing the world, changing ourselves, growing in God. You know, almost 40 years ago, God gave me a plan for reaching the world in a way that nearly no one has ever done since the time of Jesus.
He said, instead of building a big conglomerate ministry, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but for me, he said, instead of doing this where you have a localized power base, he said, invest in people who are influencers. And so we started Impact International School of Ministry, and we have invested in influencers all over the world so that today, millions and millions of people are hearing this message. People, we won't see this side of heaven. But you know something? We've taken that a step farther with what we call Operation One Billion, where all over the world we are starting Bible schools to train leaders. And in these third world countries, when they go to Bible school and when they get launched out, they go out and evangelize. They go out and start churches. It's not like America where people just go to Bible school and quit. Listen, I want to invite you to become not just a world changer with our ministry, but join me in Operation One Billion. Now, one of the most important things I want you to understand about what happens in you when you pray, and by the way, studies show that when Christians pray, that a part of their brain is activated that doesn't happen really for any other religious group that has ever been studied. Because you see, we are not talking to the universe. We're not talking to just, you know, some vague entity out there. And we're not relating to a deity that is so different from us that we can't have personal relationship. We're not working formulas. We are interacting with the person, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And because of that, our brain activates in a way that would activate between two caring people as they were communicating in a meaningful way. Now, what happens in your brain is greatly effective on what happens in your heart. And so, you know, God gave you a left brain and a right brain. Your left brain is more of your intellectual part of your mind. Right brain is the more creative, conceptual part of your mind. Now, in order to influence your heart, you always want to bring the left and the right brain together. See, the left brain answers the question, why? In other words, you know, you can be trying to get the concept of healing his mind. The left brain is going, but why? Why is healing yours? When we are acknowledging the name of God, when we're acknowledging the promises of God, and when we're acknowledging, you know, what we have in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, that resolves the left brain's control of that thought process. And now... When we go to conceptualizing to see ourselves healed, to see ourselves prospering, to see ourselves in a great relationship or whatever, now the left brain isn't going, no, wait, 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 you, you haven't answered my questions yet. And when the left brain and the right brain harmonize, then the door to your heart opens because you've got the how-to and the I am. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.